thank you for listening to this Elam Church Christchurch podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit www.elamchristchurch.org or connect at one of our services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Love to connect. Well, I want to share with you this morning a message. And uh, this message is called Ready or Not. Ready or Not. And uh, we're right in the middle, well, finishing up a series called Games, looking at this idea that uh, God will often call us into th- to do things that extend our own faith. They might not feel very comfortable, but he calls us into these places where our faith is extended. We're called to know God through prayer and Bible reading. That was the first one. The second one is that we're called to open up parts of our lives to the Lord um, so that he might bring healing to those things. We find genuine freedom through that process. Uh, The third session was around acting out our spiritual gifts and moving in those things so that we might indeed, and this is the fourth one, make a difference in our area. In our lives, in our workplaces, in our families, we're called to make a difference. And the question is, are we ready or not? Are you ready? Are you ready to be a minister? Well, when I first attended university, I took a year off. I'd taken a year off from school. And so I enrolled in my local university, and I was not ready. I was very rusty. And I enrolled in maths in the area of Bachelor of Science and Maths and Physics. And I took, uh, the first maths paper that I took was the hard one. There were two options. I took the hard one. And uh, it was an advanced calculus. And it was very difficult. It was a very difficult class. I vividly remember the first lecture. The lecturer got up. He started, she started doing this logic proof. If you're not a mathematician, a logic proof takes a long time, and it's usually very complicated, and you're expected to understand each step before proceeding to the following step. So they might have 30 steps in a logic proof, and you've got to understand each one in order to proceed to the next one. And uh, she spent 20 minutes going through this very complicated logic Proof, and it's fair to say that I understood the first one or two steps. There's hundreds, you know, not hundreds. There's lots and lots of these steps, and she concluded by saying, "If you did not understand what I've just done, you are in the wrong class." <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. Like, well... so my heart sank. I went over my notes, and I still couldn't make sense of it. And I asked myself. Am I ready for this course? Am I ready for this course? Maybe I'm not ready. The end of the story, which is unimportant, but you might want to know it, is that I studied very, very hard and ended up getting a B plus. So thank you, Lord. That was good, which is one of the high points of my uh, university career. It didn't usually get much better than that. Usually B minus, sometimes a C plus. But we've all been there. <laughs> we've all been there where we've asked ourselves, really, am I ready? Am I ready? Maybe I need to learn a bit more. Maybe I need to work on myself a bit more. I just don't feel ready. King David was somebody from the Bible whom nobody else thought was ready. He might have thought himself ready, but nobody else believed him to be ready. And uh, God sends the prophet Samuel to his house to anoint him with oil, to pour oil over his head, to set him apart to be the next king of Israel. 
He, wasn't, uh, he didn't come from a royal line. His father was not a king. He was being called to be the king. This is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. This is the Lord's reasoning for doing this. He says, The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outside appearance, outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so we face this problem here in ourselves where we're surrounded by people who look at the outside appearance, but God, who is calling us and wanting to be a part of our lives, fundamentally has a different value system. He fundamentally sees things differently. We're using our own methods to judge readiness to be of impact uh, in the kingdom of God, to kind of serve God, to, to reach the people around us. We're using our own methods, and God says, actually, there is a different value system at work. Maybe you write yourself off because your gifts are different to others. You see people with the gifts of the prophetic, or you see particularly articulate people, or, or preaching, or leadership, and so you devalue your own gifts, which might be an administration, or hospitality, but God sees different than the people around you. God says, ready. For others, it might be an age thing. You might think, man, I'm too young. You might think, uh, you know what, I, somebody has made me feel a bit old, I won't look at anybody when I see that because I'll have calls on my desk. Are you talking about me, Pete? No, I'm not. But maybe, <laughs> maybe somebody felt you a bit old and God sees your heart and he says, that's all that matters. For some, it's as simple as being personality-based. All of the leaders and the Christian leaders in your world perhaps were of particular personality types, maybe an A-type personality, like a boss mentality. Or maybe they were just always loud and gregarious and you're not that. And you're wondering to yourself, am I ready because I really do want to serve God, but, but am I ready? Maybe you've been tempted to not consider your own contribution to the kingdom of God as equally valid to others because you're quieter or more introverted. The solution is found in the scripture where it says, but God looks at the heart. Other people judge based on wealth or, or position or the fact that everyone else seems to like this guy, so he must be a good guy. And Other people judge on all of these different factors, but God looks at the heart. The Bible talks about this idea in a few different ways. I just want to show them to you. The first one is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, where Paul is encouraging a, his apprentice in ministry, and he says this, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. The only reason Paul would actually want to write this and commit this thought to paper is because it's clearly a problem for Timothy. People are looking down on him because he's young. Maybe they're making the link between calling and age. They're saying you couldn't be called of God because you're not old enough or you're inexperienced or you're lacking whatever. But this is also true for any challenge where you feel self-conscious about. And you can insert that challenge in. You can say, don't let anyone look down on you because you are. And then you insert your challenge. But instead, set an example for the believers. For some, it's ethnicity. For others, it's agenda. 
and age or past issues or we've talked about personality and gifting and on the list goes. Don't let anyone look down on you because of that, but instead set an example. Jesus goes on to model this in his own ministry. The way Jesus ministered is not just some interesting way that we can draw leadership lessons from. It's actually what we need to be reenacting. In Luke chapter 10, it says this. Jesus uh, has, has got these people who are following him around. And he sends out 72 of them into the villages to, to bring his message to the people there. And he says this in verse 10. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And this is the metaphor he uses. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Lambs are and will never, ever be ready to be sent into a pack of wolves. Never ready. You can't tell a lamb, well, just wait till you're a bit older. Or when your, your wool coat is a bit thicker, perhaps it will protect you more. No, no, a sheep is just as vulnerable as a lamb amongst wolves. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm, I'm prepared to send you out. I'm prepared to use you. The harvest is plentiful and we need workers. So we'll take anybody who is prepared to carry the strength and the presence and the purpose of God with them. Because those things will be the strength. You're still a lamb. There's nothing that can change the fact that you are a lamb, except now you're a lamb with the strength and the provision and the presence of God that goes with you. Jesus responds, and they, these guys, they come back, and, and what they say, let me get it here. They come back, and in verse 17, it says, The 72 returned, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. What an incredible result. And Jesus is so filled with joy that he responds in verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. For people who say, you know what, I just feel like a little child in my faith. I'm not ready to be used of God. Jesus might say, listen, these 72 weren't ready either. I sent them anyway, and I'm sending you anyway. God's way is to hide things from people who think they're wise or uh, people who consider themselves overly talented or full of potential and, and and to use and to reveal the kingdom of God to people who are simply prepared to say, Lord, what I have, limited as though it is, is yours. You know, in the church that I belonged to when I was growing up, I was one of four or five teenagers of that church, and we didn't have a youth group. And we wanted a youth group. Everyone else seemed to have a youth group. We didn't have one. And um, so we got together and we said, well, why don't we ask Dave? He's an adult. I'll ask Dave, he can be our leader, and we'll, we'll form a youth group. What we didn't want was for Dave to serve us. We simply needed, knew that we needed adult supervision. <laughs> we needed credibility of having an adult present. We didn't see ourselves as needing to be served, but instead as fellow ministers wanting to reach out and make a difference. Active ministry 
is part of our discipleship journey. If we say to ourselves, I need to get ready before God can use me, we will be delaying the things of God in our lives. And God is saying, listen, you're not ready, but I'm going to use you anyway. Don't wait until you're ready because ministry is part of the growth journey. That's why it's up there on the, on the wall is saying we want people on their discipleship journey to know God and to find freedom because there are things that will follow you if you don't get freedom from them, to discover their purpose and their gifting and their passions, and then to make a difference. It's not that you need to get mature before you make a difference. You just need to make a difference because God will do in your life things that he can't do if you're not serving him. If you ask the question, well, am I ready to make a difference? God would probably respond by saying, no, but that's never stopped me with anybody else. No, you're not ready. Join the club. No one else is ready either. I hope that I'm ready a few seconds before I go to glory, but I'm not even sure if that'll be the case. You know, the book of Acts tells the story of God using a group of people who weren't ready, but who became ready because of the work that his spirit did through them. So if you're asking yourself, okay, what does ministry look like? I want to share with you uh, three things from the book of Acts that ministry looks like. The first one is that it looks like team. It looks like team. Ministry was always meant to be a team activity. If you look back at, his, at the church history, what you would see is that ministry started off as team, and then at some point, I'm not having to go at different churches, but at some point it got vocational, so you had normal Christians, and then you had super Christians leading the church. God never intended for us to put our faith in man and instead of in God. God always intended for us to minister together as family ministry, body ministry, team ministry. We're called to be a church, which by definition is a community. We're each given spiritual gifts. No, nobody that I know of has been given the whole lot. Most people are only given one or two so that we might be team. We're given specific passions. Some people love teenagers. Others uh, really have a passion for the lonely. Some people specifically want to minister to people recently out of prison. Others to young mums and so on. We're each given these specific passions because we are team. We're called to team. We're each given different perspectives to help balance and shape each other and how we think about God. We're all moving us, uh, this is all moving us to the point which is showing us that actually ministry flows out of team. This is what it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And they develop, uh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. And verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. The early church was together. So we're not talking about a few inspirational leaders with large bands of followers. 
We're not talking about somebody who's on Instagram with 10,000 followers or 20,000 followers or something like that. So you've got your followers and then you've got the source of all revelation. We're talking about team. You might say, well, what about those people in history that seem to stand on their own? Somebody might say, what about Pastor uh, Reverend Billy Graham? Billy Graham was the voice of a team. In fact, if you go to their website, you, you, it'll, it'll say, this is our team. And he'll list these men. He'll, it'll, it'll list as part of his core team, Cliff Barrows, who served as the director of music. It'll list George Bev Shea, who sang on the Crusades for decades and recorded uh, more than 70 albums. It'll list Grady Wilson, who served on the ministry team with Reverend Graham. It'll list T.W. Wilson, who served on team as a prayer partner and ministry assistant through his ministry. What it shows you is that the, while one man might have been speaking, there was a whole team that was ministering. Ministry looks like a team. And so here at Elam, we have dream team because there's a ministry that we feel God's called us to that looks like a team. So the question is maybe what team has God put on your heart to serve in? Might be the youth team on a Friday night. Might be in the host team on a Sunday. God's given you a passion for greeting and helping people on their first time visit to church, feel comfortable and hearing from the Lord that way. It might be in the kids' ministry and sowing into the next generation. It might be in church maintenance, supporting the church building for the season that's ahead because you truly believe that there is a season coming that is greater than the one we have and you want to sow into that practically. It might be in prayer ministry and seeking God through prayer and, and um, all, all of these different types of teams. God might be calling you to join a team. Second thought from the book of Acts is that what does ministry look like? What does it mean to make a difference? And this might encourage some people is that often it looks like prayer. It just looks like prayer. Verse 42 again says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Prayer was the key part of what they did. You know, there comes a time... In everybody's life, probably multiple times, where the most influential thing that you can do is to pray. Perhaps you've got a family member that you've witnessed to, but they're not interested. They don't want to be told again. You can pray. Prayer makes a difference. Perhaps there's an issue in your world that you feel can only shift through prayer. It's not just pray. It's, it's pray because it makes such a huge difference. Perhaps you're in the later years of your life where you've got certain health challenges uh, and that makes serving on an official ministry difficult. You can pray. You can contribute by prayer. Prayer is huge. There was a Welsh revivalist. I've used the Welsh a few times this last couple of months, but this guy's incredible. His name was Rhys Howells. Uh, Rhys Howell. And... Uh, he thoroughly believed in the urgency and the power of prayer. On the 26th of May in 1940, he felt in his spirit a deep urgency to pray for the British and the French troops that were in France. He didn't know what was going on over there, but he felt a deep urgency to pray. 
So he was working at a Bible college at the time and he rallied the students of the Bible college and for days they went into specific prayer as the Spirit led. What they didn't know was that politically the Nazi troops uh, in their invasion of France had cut off 420,000 British and French troops which had gathered in the, villa, in, in, in the town of Dunkirk near the French coast. They were cut off. Winston Churchill at that time called it the, most, the, the ultimate military disaster. He went to his advisors and he said, okay, how many of these guys can we get out? Bearing in mind these 420,000 people. They said, oh, we think we can get out 20 or 30,000. But Reese Howell and, 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 his, and his students are praying. And they're praying. And what God did was that he mobilized 484 private vessels. If you've ever seen the movie of called Dunkirk, and you see this in action, what you see is that hundreds upon hundreds of private vessels came out from uh, the UK and rescued, in the days that followed, 330,000 troops from enemy territory, and they brought them back to the UK. It would not be overstating it to say that the Allied victory of World War II hinged on the events of Dunkirk. And behind it all was a group of people whom the Holy Spirit had prompted to pray and to pray and to pray. And that's what they did. And they made a massive impact. Prayer is not just an extra thing. Spurgeon tells us that it's the engine room of the church. It brings breakthrough. There's victory in prayer. Never tell yourself, well, I can only pray, as if only praying is not very influential. Prayer is the core of what we're called to do. So if you want to make a difference, if you want to minister, if God's calling you to reach out, then pray. Pray for the church. Pray for the youth. Pray for the community. Pray that people would come to know Jesus. Pray for evangelists. Pray that God would use them. Just pray and pray and pray and pray. This is a great time to invite you tomorrow night to come and pray. Heart and soul, 7.15, right here. We're going to pray. We're going to worship God together. Making a difference in ministry often looks like prayer. And finally, I, th- I feel like this can really help some people today. You're feeling God's calling you to step into ministry. And you're overwhelmed because the scale of it seems so large. When I say step into ministry, I don't mean necessarily step in and be paid for it and, and go to Bible college for three years, although God might be calling you to do that. But... What I mean is step into serving God in the area of your passions and your gifting. And so God's calling you to do it, but it feels overwhelming because in your mind you've got like, okay, what do the next 10 years look like? What do the next 20 years look like? What might the rest of my life look like if I step out in this area and be obedient? But in the book of Acts, God didn't call people to pick up international ministries. He just called them to be obedient once. In one, in one area, at one time. And so my third thought for you is that ministry often looks like one-by-one one acts. Just, just one time. 
You see this in, in Peter, the apostle's life. The, the church comes under fire uh, in Acts chapter 12. And Herod wants to um, get favor with some political people in the city. So he starts putting a bunch of people in prison. And uh, he puts the apostle Peter in prison. In verse 5 it says, uh, it says here that so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And the story is incredible. Peter, Peter goes to sleep one night, and then this angel comes to him. And he says, come on, we're going. We're leaving this place. And this angel leads Peter out of prison and into the street. Now, this has happened in real life. If you've ever read the book, The Heavenly Man, this very experience happened to Brother Yun. And Brother Yun says, at the whole time, I thought I was in a trance. It was only when we were like halfway down the street that I realized, whoa, this is actually real. I'm not asleep. I'm not a dream. I'm literally outside of the prison. And uh, so I wonder if maybe Peter thought like that too. He's like, oh, I'm having a great dream. The Lord's really ministering to me here until he realizes it's for real. But the interesting thing is that Peter does not think to himself, man, I must have a ministry in getting spung, sprung from prison. I, I, could, I could build an international platform out of this. I could just, you know, get arrested and then God will come and take me out of prison and everyone will be stoked. And, you know, but that's not what happens. Peter was obedient in a one-time thing. As far as we know, that's the only time it happened. But Peter was there and he responded as God called him. So God often leads us into one-by-one one acts. So how does this encourage us when it comes to ministry? Well, it means that you don't have to get worried about what something may or may not lead to. We only have to worry about how God is leading us now. If God is asking to, you to encourage somebody in church, it's not necessarily meaning or committing you to, to joining the prayer team or developing your prophetic ministry. It's, it's simply a one-by-one one thing. God's calling you to encourage somebody now, so encourage somebody now. Maybe for a season, God's encouraging you to serve in the under fives. Does that mean that you'll be there long term? No, it just means that he's calling you to serve now. Be faithful with the call now, and he'll lead you further. Now, this is a pattern in the lives of the apostles as they led the people, as they led people, as they led themselves, that they were obedient in one-by-one one things. Some things became international ministries in the lives of Paul and the apostles. Some things were just one-offs, and that's okay. Let's just invite the keys to come. I want to share this with you. It's kind of a fun uh, idea. That idea was that what would... What would the response have been if Jesus had gone to a leadership consultancy firm and asked them for his opinion on the disciples? <laughs> Saying, hey, run these guys through a whole suite of tests. We, I want to know, are these guys ready? Are they ready for self? You know, I'm, I'm Jesus. Holy Spirit's got crazy work for these guys. The whole church of the future is hinging on them. Are they up to it? from the Jerusalem Management Consultancy Firm. Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men that you have picked for the management positions in your new organization. 
All of them have now taken a series of tests. And not only have we run the results through our computer, but we've also conducted an in-depth interview with each of them by our staff psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all of the tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. It is the staff's opinion that most of the nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept, and we would highly recommend that you continue your search for people of more experience, higher qualifications, and greater management abilities. We found Simon Peter to be emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew simply has no qualities of leadership that we can see. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty and are often very boisterous. Thomas, Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale in the ranks. It's also our duty to inform you that the Better Business Bureau of Greater Jerusalem has received reports on Matthew regarding questionable business practice. James, do you see where this is going, right? James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leadings and both demonstrate attitude problems which present difficulty in their dealings with the public. However, one of your candidates shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness. He meets people well. He's got a keen business mind and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible, and not afraid to take the initiative. We recommend Judas Iscariot as the most qualified of all your potential candidates. Yours sincerely, the Jerusalem Management Consulting Firm. You know, it's come out in, in recent years, this phrase, but God. So we, we see this happening, but God. And what that word, but God, means is that while you might see something in the natural, God's plans are bigger and they're better and they're better than you can ever dream of. But God. You might be sick, but God. You might be lonely, but God. We might say this, I'm just a, insert the blank, just a builder, just a bricklayer, just a single mom, just a whatever. But God. But in God and through his calling, I'm going to step out. I'm going to be faithful to the way he's called me. Because just like the disciples, nobody else in this world necessarily thinks that my life is going to account for very much but God. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning to hear God for yourself. There are many 
great things of God come from seemingly simple and humble beginnings where people hear from God and they step out to do that one thing that he's called them to do. It might be to organize a time to connect with your friend and to share a bit of your faith. It might be to offer to pray with somebody. God often gives us practical things to do. So I just want to lead us all in a prayer with every head bowed and eye closed this morning. And I want to encourage you to say to God in your own way, God, what would you have me do? I believe that you've called me to minister to people, to demonstrate the love of Jesus to people. And I want to be obedient to that, but I'm flawed and I'm human, and so I can only think of just a small picture. So right now, for this week that's ahead, what is one thing that you would have me do? Holy Spirit, we invite you here right now. We invite you to speak to our hearts what you'd like to say. Please bring our own hearts for everybody here who is not sure of what you're asking them to do next. For some, maybe it feels too big for them. For others, they might dismiss it because it feels too small. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us, to give us one thing that we can step out and obediently honor you with. And we can make a difference this week. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak. every head bowed and eye closed we've spoken today about actions we can take decisions we can make for God to use us I want to tell you that the very first action we can make is to accept Jesus as the Lord and director of our life maybe you're here today and you haven't done that before say, you know what, I actually don't think Jesus is the Lord of my life. Maybe you've known God in the past. Right now you feel that, you know what, it's right for me to invite him into my life again. We're going to pray a prayer where we all just invite God to do that very thing. We're going to pray it out loud. And if that's you, I want you to pray that along with everybody else. It's an opportunity to invite God to come into your world. I want to tell you that God is a God of love, not judgment. He loves you very much, not condemnation. We've all walked away from God, whether through active rebellion or just simply being indifferent to what He would say to us. The Bible defines that as sin says that the wages of sin is death, which is eternal separation from God. But that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ to all who would accept it. There is forgiveness for you. 
And if that's you, I want you to invite you just along with everybody else, with every head bowed and eye closed, and we're going to pray this prayer out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross for me. Thank you that you paid the debt that I was due for my sin. I choose today to turn from my old way of living and I turn to you now. Come into my life and make me brand new today. Thank you for listening to this Elam Church Christchurch podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit www.elamchristchurch.org or connect at one of our services every Sunday at 10am.